It's the Security Weekly News, episode 305. It is Friday, the 16th of June, 2023. We got Killer Robots, ESXi, Lockbit, MoveIt, CSUS, uh, the SEC, Texas, Aaron Leyland, and more on this edition of the Security Weekly News. This is a Security Weekly production for security professionals by security professionals. Please visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe to all the shows on our network. We interrupt our program to bring you this important It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Did you know that Active Directory is exploited in 9 out of 10 cyber attacks? With access to Active Directory, attackers can gain control of your network. To keep attackers out, you need to find and fix Active Directory security gaps. Meet Purple Knight, a free security assessment tool that scans your environment for hundreds of vulnerabilities and helps you fix the problems. Ready to reduce your Active Directory attack surface? Download Purple Knight, the number one Active Directory security vulnerability assessment tool. Visit securityweekly.com slash Semperis, S-E-M-P-E-R-I-S, for more information. Hi, folks. I'm Adrian Sanabria, the host of Enterprise Security Weekly. Every week, we interview the most interesting folks we can find talking about the most pressing cybersecurity issues and challenges facing the enterprise today. Myself and my co-hosts have each been in the industry for decades, long enough to see the patterns in the industry and explore where trends are going. In addition to enterprise challenges, we also follow the vendor space, the most interesting security startups emerging, technology and product trends, all the most interesting funding and acquisition announcements. Finally, we love to discuss the latest trends in tech and how they'll impact cybersecurity. If you're wondering how the latest in AI, quantum computing, cloud, and DevOps is going to impact security a few years down the road, you should follow the Enterprise Security Weekly Podcast. All right. Welcome to the Security Weekly News. I'm Doug White. Uh, it is summertime here in New England, sort of, uh, but uh, we're getting there. A Chinese group called UNC3886, I don't think they have a name yet, so I'm going to call them Whipped Weasel, but uh, UNC3886 has been using a VMware ESXi Zero Day to escalate privileges on virtual machines, according to Mandiant. Now, Mandiant ha uh, first reported on this group back in September of 2022 and said the group is using uh, VIBS, which is a vSphere installation bundle, if you aren't up on all that lingo. And they're using the VIBs to install backdoor Trojans on the hypervisor, which is pretty terrifying. Uh, and, and of course, if you can do that, then you can subsequently gain command and file capabilities and ultimately a reverse shell on that hypervisor machine. Now, if you aren't up on all the hypervisor lingo, ESXi is a major commercial type one hypervisor, which means it's installed like an operating system on the bare metal of a, of a server. Uh, and it acts as an intermediary between the virtual machines that you've set up and and the you know then those could be running Windows or Linux or whatever you want to run, and in between that and the hardware. And a VIB is a package that's used for maintaining and deploying updates to uh, all of your different devices in those ESXi clusters, or if it's just a single or whatever. So if you could take over an ESXi hypervisor you could potentially control massive amounts of virtual machines that are running in a company. Uh, so, you know, this is a, just an exponential problem. Uh, the current targets impact virtual machines, vCenter servers, and Windows VMs. Uh, so the recent attacks now have involved compromising the credentials on a vCenter server 
uh, which is if you, again, vCenter is the management interface for ESXi and all the virtual machines and things that you have. So that's another virtual machine that you use to manage everything. Uh, so they're using a zero day in VMware tools and VMware tools, an important component of all your virtual machines, uh, which allows the bypass of authentication and the execution of privilege commands on Windows, Linux, and vCenter. So now they've expanded so they can actually hit everything. Uh, Mandy had said they observed the attackers using scripts to harvest credentials from the compromised vCenter servers through uh, a vPostgreSQL database, which is where they maintain the names and information about all of the ESXi hosts and the VMs on that cluster. Uh, once they had done that, they were able to deploy malicious VIBS or VIBS to the host and use the zero day to execute commands and transfer files to and from the compromised ESXi host to and from the guest VMs. Yikes. Uh, they were also observed apparently deploying virtual PETA and virtual gate, which are both backdoor Trojans that allow you to access the directly. Uh, there were no mitigations listed at this time on this article. And so if you are running ESXi, you may want to increase your restrictions around ESXi host. And mostly you want to protect all those interfaces to that main ESXi host. So be sure people can't get to that stuff uh, from the outside or from the inside for that matter. The United States Department of Justice announced charges yesterday against a third Russian national who was allegedly involved in the deployment of LockBit ransomware. The DOJ said that in at least one instance, they were able to trace a victim's ransom payment to a cryptocurrency address that was controlled by Ruslan Magomedovich Astamarov. Sorry, all our Russian friends. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but uh, they said that, that Estemirov is a resident of the Chechen Republic in Russia. Estemirov was arrested, though, in Arizona and allegedly owned multiple IP addresses, multiple email addresses, and multiple online accounts used to deploy LockBit ransomware. And that they also used those accounts to communicate with the victims of LockBit. The complaint said that Astamarov had been a member of the LockBit gang since at least August of 2020 and had directly executed at least five cyber attacks against victim systems in the United States. The complaint also said that during a voluntary interview with the FBI, you never want to hear that if you're an attorney, a voluntary interview with the FBI in May of this year, Astamarov lied about his connection with one of the email addresses used in the LockBit ransomware attack, but then later admitted that he had been using that account on at least three different devices, and they went and seized all of his devices. Astemarov is being charged with conspiracy to commit wire fraud and conspiracy to damage computers and transmit ransom demands. So... Uh, all those charges add up to 20 to 20 years on the wire fraud side and five years on the damage to a computer side. So that would be the maximum you could receive. The FBI estimated that LockBit has been used in around 1,700 attacks in the United States and received around $91 million in ransom just in the U.S., Mikhail Vasiliev was arrested in November of 2022, and in May of this year, the U.S. put a $10 million bounty on Mikhail Pavlovich Matviev uh, being involved with Babuk, Hive, and Lockbit ransomware attacks. So, you know, uh, there's a, another bounty on somebody's head. Okay, there have now been so many stories about this. Every time I see one, I keep thinking, I already did that. And then I look at the date and go, nope, that's another one. Uh, Progress Software was rushing a new patch out to users of Move It Transfer on yesterday, Thursday, after yet another SQL injection vulnerability was found. Uh, this is the second Move It Transfer patch this week. 
and apparently some extortion attempts have been starting uh, as a result from last month's zero-day attacks on MoveIt transfer users. Klopp ransomware uh, had been accused of this, uh, being behind these attacks by Microsoft and others, but Klopp ransomware has now claimed responsibility for the May attacks and said it had exfiltrated data from hundreds of organizations by exploiting the older zero days. Another patch had been issued last Friday. We talked about that one on Tuesday, but yesterday another patch was issued. And a post from Progress said that they were rolling out patches last night. So Progress disabled uh, HTTPS traffic on their cloud version on Thursday. Uh, and that's the Move It Cloud product if you're using that. They asked all customers to take down their HTTP and HTTPS traffic until a patch could be created and tested. Uh, the current advice also includes that you should block HTTP and HTTPS traffic to Move It Transfer. Uh, so, you know, pretty extreme. Uh, that's port 80 and 443 TCP, if you don't know, but I bet you did know that. I mean, honestly, you probably should be blocking every port to everything that has those on it right now. Uh, I mean, if you must actually provide that service at this time, well, you know, that's going to be difficult. But uh, And then, of course, allowing access to it is probably just asking for it. But currently, they did say you can use Move It Transfer by using a remote desktop to access the Windows machine and then access it via HTTPS localhost. Yeah, that, that sounds like, that doesn't sound like a good idea to me, but okay. Klopp published 27 names yesterday that they claim to have attacked. Uh, and Klopp, of course, if you're not familiar with them, but you probably are, is reputedly backed by Russia uh, and has uh, been also been known as the name Lace Tempest. So if you are using Move It, well, you definitely want to patch up, but you probably want to watch that thing pretty closely for a while. I mean, it seems like every other day we get a new zero day in that SQL injection. In a related story, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, or CISA, is quoted as, quote, providing support to several federal agencies that have experienced intrusions affecting their MoveIt applications. Uh, this came from Eric Goldstein, the Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity. The Department of Energy is among one of the federal agencies that are listed as being breached by CLOP, and this was confirmed by the Department of Energy speaking to CNN News. Uh, Jen Easterly, the director of CISA, said the hacks have not had any significant impacts on federal civilian agencies and that the hackers were just being opportunistic and using the software to break into networks. And I presume that opportunistic means that the attacks didn't seem to have a specific goal. Uh, okay. The Department of Energy said they took immediate steps to mitigate the impact of the attack after learning that records from two different department entities had been compromised. One of the affected victims was the Oak Ridge Associated Universities. Yay, I used to work at the lab where that is. Uh, but uh, another was reported to be a contractor affiliated with the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant in New Mexico. Now, if you don't know what that means, that is not a sewage plant. Well, it kind of is, but it's actually a nuclear waste disposal unit. So a, a special kind of sewage, that the kind that turns you into a chud or sludge girl or something when you fall into a big vat of it. And if you ever want me to tell you the parking lot story, I will sometime, but you have to buy me a drink. So, yeah, uh, scary stuff. The Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States, which is called the SEC, is the management group that enforces regulations on publicly traded companies. Uh, they had finalized new regulations that would require publicly traded companies to notify the agency within four days of any breach. 
Uh, this pronouncement came out in the spring of this year. Uh, the expectation was that the rule would be in place as early as May, but has now been updated to October. Uh, the reasons behind that were industry trade groups like the IT Industry Council, a lot of vendors, NASDAQ, and the Electronic Privacy Information Center had pushed back on this rule. Some of the groups said that it was a duplicate of another requirement, which is already in the 2022 Cyber Incident Reporting for Critical Infrastructure Act, called CERCIA, thankfully, because saying all that a lot would take a lot of time. But it that one requires companies already to report breaches to CISA. The CERCIA Act requires reporting within three days, but only to CISA, not to shareholders and everybody else in what they call an 8K report, which was the SEC would require. In, 14, in the 14 June report, the Atlantic Council said that many of the comments on the new SEC rule were concerned about the rapid turnaround required and quoted Rapid7 as saying that, quote, Public disclosure of an unmitigated or uncontained cyber incident will likely lead to attacker behaviors that cause additional harm to investors, including attack escalation. So this is different than reporting to CISA. So you send something to CISA, that's internal. You put out an 8K report, it goes to every everybody can see that. Uh, Rapid7 also warned that this sort of disclosure could lead to copycat attacks by other attackers seeking to exploit the same vulnerability. Rapid7 went on to say that a 30-day period should suffice to investigate and remediate the vast majority of cyber incidents. NASDAQ said uh, the four-day requirement might interfere with remediation and that four days was not enough time to understand the nature and scope of cybersecurity breach and the potential impact. Uh, the Electronic Privacy Information Center raised concerns about consumer privacy in the event of a financial breach. Basically, they all said that it should be 30 days. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, if my data has been compromised, I really would kind of like to know, which is what I think the SEC would like to know. Uh, if I'm a shareholder, I'd kind of like to know. But I don't disagree with the other statements that are basically saying that if you put out public information four days in, this could conceivably cause problems. And since we're on government today, CISA is ordering all federal agencies to take new measures to restrict access to the Internet-exposed network equipment. Thank you. Uh, it's about time. Under this new order, federal agencies will have 14 days to respond to reports from CISA about misconfigured or internet-exposed network equipment, and the directive applies to any networking device, including firewalls, routers, and load balancers, and that rogue Wi-Fi unit you have on your desk, Phil. Yeah, you know who you are. Uh, the order goes on to require that the federal agencies limit access so that only authorized users on the local or internal network can reach the management interfaces of these devices. Mandiant revealed that since at least October of 2022, Chinese hackers have been exploiting email security gateways from Barracuda to gather emails from organizations. And I mean, you know, we've seen these over and over and over again. I mean, I mean, it's not just Barracuda. It's been, you know, Fortinet. It's been Cisco. It's been everybody. And I mean, I get it. It's tough to set up management VLANs and restrict this type of access since the next thing you know, you lock yourself out and you have to drive to Hoboken at 3 a.m. with a Cisco cable and a laptop because that rule didn't work the way you thought it was going to. But, but look, don't expose anything that doesn't need to be exposed and, and, you know, and don't let people have access to it, which could be the theme of this show, it seems. Many of these interfaces were never, ever designed with security in mind. And, and you know, the, the easy assumption was always that we use a management VLAN and we restrict access to that. And I mean, you know, it's not been that many years since Cisco stopped not only talking about, but just advocating Telnet and TFTP. I mean, they still talk about it. If you take one of their classes, they still have instructions for setting up Telnet and TFTP. 
but at least they no longer gush over it like they used to in their material. I mean, the first Cisco class I ever took, I literally raised my hand and asked the instructor why they were encouraging people to set up stuff like Telnet. And, and they basically said, Thou shalt not question the, the mighty Cisco from whom all things flow, lest thou be ca cast out into the darkness for all eternity and be forced to use Palo Alto. Amen. Yeah, I mean, I, I did not like that even, you know, 15 years ago. I didn't like the fact that Cisco was gushing over TFTP and Telnet, but they were. Well, Texas will join with Louisiana and Utah in requiring parental consent for minors under 18 to access social media. The law will go into effect on September 1st, and it will require platforms to verify the ages of all minors, secure parental consent to register the minor as a user, uh, and verify that the parents are indeed the parents of said minor, or you will risk legal action from the state attorney general. Yeah, how the hell do you enforce this? I will never know. But, you know, the land of freedom and all. I mean, you know, Texas always makes a big deal about everybody being free to do whatever they want, but <laughs> not really. Just free to do whatever they think is okay. Sorry, I won't get off on that. But basically what this thing is going to do is it's going to require that any digital service provider that uses an email at sign-in will have to conduct some sort of age verification to identify the minors. Then they have to verify that the parent is connected to the minor and has that authority. And then they have to secure parental consent. So yeah, that you know, because this sort of stuff always works out so well. Mom, can you approve my account on LemonParty.com? Don't go to LemonParty.com. I don't know, Wally. What's Lemon Party? Oh, it's where we get together and talk about lemonade and Jesus. Sure, hon. Let me just approve that. Here's my credit card. Because, you know, I don't usually like these kind of laws anyway, even though they sound really good to people because they always call them, you know, for the sake of the children. But critics are already saying the law violates the First Amendment in the United States. That's the Freedom of Speech Amendment. Uh, critics said it could increase digital surveillance uh, on, on uh, minors because now we'll know who they are. Uh, and it will limit access to critical online safety resources, which could be especially harmful for minors living in abusive homes which is probably some of what this law is. We won't get off into the politics of all that, but some of this is just about controlling what information that minors have access to. NetChoice asked the governor of Texas to veto the law and is already suing California over a similar law that was passed there. Personally, I bought a lot of liquor when I was underage, and I would guess these laws will be just about as effective as Net Nanny and the liquor store and all that, but they sure sound good to the rubes. Yeah, you bet. Well, fresh back from changing the world forever at the Download Festival. Uh, that's why they can't show that footage on uh, public television. Uh, but uh, it's the man in the pink tutu and the cat ears. It's Aaron Leyland. Hi, Aaron. Hey, Dr. Doug. Obviously, um, I spent the week at the rock metal, death metal sort of um, festival, sipping on sort of wine and reading sort of good books and um, didn't get involved in the hardcore partying. So I feel pretty good this week. Oh, yeah. So you, you were you were like in charge of like uh, distributing religious tracts and uh, making sure everybody had a copy of how to be safe at rock festivals and that kind of stuff. Yeah, just just making sure that people woke up with God in their soul and um, uh, bottles of water. Oh, is that what they're, that, that's what they're calling it now. Yeah, I, okay. You, you call it whatever you want to call it. That's fine. Like, uh, I don't know. Well, I'm glad okay. you survived again. 
<laughs> I'm glad I survived the end. <laughs> <laughs> on, onwards for another year of podcasting delight. Okay, Yay. so chi- <laughs> Chinese hackers use DNS over HTTPS for Linux malware communication. Um, the article reveals that a Chinese threat group known as Shamal Gang, and I'm going to want to say Camel Gang, and I'm sorry if I do, but it's apparently Shamal Gang. Who makes up these words? Um, apparently Dr. Did or Doug did earlier in the show. I hope that one sticks. Um, so they've recently been targeting Linux devices with a previously unidentified implant named <laughs> it just gets worse. Um Chamel DOH, um, which of course, I'm going to want to call Chamel Doe after Homer Simpson, but we'll see how we get on. This implant allows the hackers to establish communications with their servers using DNS over HTTPS, which is the DOH or the Doe. Um, this development expands their intrusion capabilities and poses new challenges for defenders. Go us. Um, the researchers at Stairwell who shared their findings with Bleeping Computer have established a connection between Shamal Gang and this Linux malware based on previous associations and indicators of compromise. Okay, taking a look to understand the significance of DNS and the role it plays in context. As most of us will know, the de- the name I can't even say it. The DNS, the name domain name system, is responsible for converting human readable domain names into IP addresses that computers understand. Traditionally, DNS queries are sent in plain text, making them susceptible to eavesdropping and monitoring by organizations and internet service providers. To address this privacy concern and counteract government censorship, DNS over HTTPS was introduced. This protocol encrypts DNS queries, providing an added added layer of security. Awesomeness. (laughs) However, as with any technology, there's a flip side. Melissa's actors like Shamal Gang are leveraging DOH as an effective means of encrypted communication for their malware. By using DOH, the Shamal Do malware establishes a covert channel between infected devices and the command and control servers, C2 servers. Um, this encrypted communication disguises the malicious queries as regular HTTPS traffic, making it challenging to say and challenging for security software to detect detect and mitigate threats. Okay, so what's particularly concerning is that Shamal Doe utilizes legitimate DOH servers from reputable, they say reputable, somewhat reputable organizations like Google and Cloudflare. This approach makes it nearly impossible to block these servers without being really good at your job or just disrupting legitimate traffic. Additionally, CamelDo employs two keys stored in JSON files, which are NS record and DOH, surprise, surprise, to obtain command and control host names and a list list of legitimate DOH cloud providers that can be used and abused for conducting DOH queries. To further obfuscate, its activities, CamelDo encrypts all its communications using AES128 and a modified Base64 encoding that substitutes non-alphanumeric characters. The transmitted data is then appended as host names to the listed malware command and control servers. This modification allows the malware to issue TXT requests for domains 
containing encoded C2 communications. By doing so, the nature of these requests remains hidden, reducing the likelihood of detection, what we don't like. As the malware communicates with the C2 server, it receives encoded TXT records containing commands to be executed on the infected device. These commands issued remotely by operators can range from, and it's all your standard ones that um, I would say, oh, big, big government organizations do, and small ones. Um, so from running files or shell commands, setting sleep intervals for check-ins, downloading files from specified URLs, uploading and writing files, deleting files, copying files to new locations, ooh, and changing the working directory. The discovery of Camel Doe sheds light on the growing sophistication of cybercriminals and their ability to exploit vulnerabilities in the even most secure systems. It also emphasizes the importance of adopting a multi-layered approach to cybersecurity. Defending against such threats requires robust network security measures, regular patching and updates, user education, and advanced threat detection systems. Systems. It is worth noting that Camel Toe was first uploaded to Virus Total in December 2022. And at the time of writing of that article, which was June 14, a couple of days ago, um, has not been flagged as malicious by any of the platform's antivirus engines. This highlights the need for continuous research, collaboration, and the development of advanced detection mechanisms to stay one step ahead of the evolving threats. Threats, threats, and threats. Okay, so I researched mitigation this morning, so you don't have to. First and foremost, it's crucial to implement robust network security measures. This includes deploying next-generation firewalls and choosing detection systems that have the capability to inspect, most importantly, encrypted traffic. And by leveraging advanced threat intelligence, machine learning algorithms, um, these systems can identify suspicious behavior and patterns within DOH traffic. Organizations should also consider implementing DNS security solutions that provide comprehensive visibility and control over DNS traffic. These solutions can detect and block malicious DNS queries, including those hidden within DOH traffic, and DNS security solutions often leverage threat intelligence feeds and machine learning algorithms to identify and prevent malicious communications. Additionally, network administrators should monitor and analyze network traffic for any anomalies or suspicious activities by closely monitoring DNS traffic. Do you do this? Do you? Do you? get doing it. Um, they can identify unusual patterns, excessive queries, or connections to known malicious domains. This proactive pr approach can help in detecting and mitigating potential DOH-based malware communications. Another effective strategy is to employ DNS filtering and web content filtering solutions. These solutions can be configured to block access to known malicious domains, <laughs> not in this case, but normally, or suspicious IP addresses by blocking communications with malicious infrastructure. The effectiveness of DOH-based malware can be significantly reduced. It's also essential, as always, as every time, as we always talk about, to keep systems and software up to date with the latest patches, security updates. Software vulnerabilities can obviously be exploited by malware to establish connections with C2 servers, including through DOH, so we need regular patching to ensure that known vulnerabilities are addressed, making it harder for malware to exploit them. And finally, education 
education and awareness play a crucial role in mitigating the risks associated with DOH-based malware. Users should be trained to recognize phishing attempts, avoid suspicious links, and exercise caution when downloading files from unknown sources. Only, only by prompting a security, a culture of cybersecurity awareness, organizations can empower their employees to act as a first line of defense against potential threats. And then, of course, what we need is loads of collaboration between everyone that we just don't always seem to get between security vendors, ISP, stakeholders. But um, yeah, let's hope that one day that that gets better and um, we can standardize more things. Let's just standardize the world and make everything better. Anyway, that's enough of that. Back to you in the studio, Dr. Doug, who is a man who cannot be covert channeled unless, as I find it involves, great cigars and many old-fashioned cocktails. There you go. That's that's what it takes. Thank you, Aaron. That, that was perfect. Uh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. All right, and finally, Singapore, notorious for being a very clean and nice place with great food. It, it is. Uh, I mean, it's like uh, Singapore is very clean. It's very nice, they have, and they have great food. It's kind of spicy if you don't like but I, I like that. But it's a really great place. But they're also notorious for being really strict about their laws. Uh, you know, they're kind of famous for it. I mean, they, they had, you know, people getting caned for, like, chewing gum in public and stuff like that back in the day. And they're really famous for, you know, not liking drugs. Uh, they have the like automatic death penalty and stuff for like drug dealers and such. But anyway, the Singapore police force plans to increase the presence of robot officers. After five years of trials and smaller scale rollouts of autonomous mobile surveillance systems, robots will be, quote, progressively deployed across Singapore. Now, Singapore had first deployed robot patrols for a parade back in 2018, and they have a Boston Robotics Spot RoboDog, if you know those things, which uh, they're super cool, and I want one. Boston Robotics, come on, get us one for the studio. It'll be a blast. But they look like that thing from Black Mirror, you know, the metalhead thing. Yeah, very terrifying. But they had put the, uh, the robotic spot dog in the park to remind people not to loiter. <laughs> it's like... Talk about scary. Like, you know, you're standing in Central Park and like, you know, you're talking to somebody and here comes like one of those spot things up goes, okay, move along there. It's like, yeah, that's a lot scarier than those horse police, yeah, that they have in Central Park. But they have patrol robots at the airport since June 2019. Please somebody send me to Singapore again for to do something so I can see that. Terminal 4 now apparently in Changi has, has two bots that are patrolling the airport terminal. And basically the robots roam around and the police can like, uh, these new robots are going to roam around. The police can see through what they're seeing and they can talk to you through the robot. You know, like, stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Yeah, that kind of stuff. I really do want to go see them. So if anybody needs me to go to Singapore, please, please let us know. Uh, anyway, we're off next week, and I will be in Augsburg, Germany at the Green Cities Conference. So if you're going to be around, please say hi. Uh, that's the news. Thanks, Aaron. And we will see you in two weeks on the Security Weekly News.